0: This morning we will be blessed by hearing the word from uh, Jack, who is one of our elders. Very excited for him to share this morning. He will be sharing out of Isaiah chapter 62, verses 1 to 12, as well as other scriptures as well. But that will be the main part of the text. So let me go ahead and read that for us this morning to prepare for God's word. 62, verses 1 to 12. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not keep silent. ...until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a burning torch. The nations shall see your righteousness and all the kings your glory. And you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give. You shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. You shall no more be termed forsaken and your land should no more be termed desolate. But you shall be called my delight is in her and your land married. For the Lord delights in you, and your land shall be married. For as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your sons marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. On your walls, O Jerusalem, I have set a watchman all the day and all the night. They shall never be silent. You who put forth in remembrance, take no rest." And give him no rest until he establishes Jerusalem and makes it a praise in the earth. The Lord has sworn by his right hand and by his mighty arm, I will not again give your grain to be food for your enemies. And foreigners shall not drink your wine for which you have labored. But those who garner it shall eat it and praise the Lord. And those who gather it shall drink it in the courts of my sanctuary. Go through, go through the gates, prepare the way for the people, Build up, build up the highway, clear it of stones, lift up a signal over the peoples. Behold, the Lord has proclaimed to the end of the earth, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your salvation comes, behold, his reward is with you, and he shall recompense before him, and his recompense before him, and they shall be called the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord, and you shall be called, sought out, a city not forsaken. God word.
1: I wish I didn't have to wear these things, but I can't read without them. <laughs> I would like us to just, uh, before I begin, I've prayed a, a simple little prayer for 20-some years now. Every time I look into the Word, every time I do, do anything, I'm just reading. Because I always want the Lord to speak to my heart and do something in my life. And so I'm, I'm going to pray this prayer, and I just just hear what I'm, what I'm praying, and, it's, and let it be your prayer. Dear Jesus, please speak to my heart and change my life. In your precious name, Jesus, I pray. Amen. Uh, just so you know, in I'm going to quote a lot of scriptures probably in here, and I'm going to... I, uh, some, some of them I have... Uh, the different different versions and I some of my paraphrased, just so you know plus I'm going to quote from a lot of different authors probably and I'm probably not going to name who they are uh, just so'm just so you know that some of these words are not my words but they have become my words because they've become such a part of me that, that I, I live by them but um, this passage of scripture in Isaiah I want to look Back to some other parts of of Isaiah here. Back to uh, chapter 41. Because you see here in 62, it's quite quite an exciting uh, passage where God is coming and saying, I will not keep silent. I dare not keep silent. I'm going to go after you, Israel, until you are restored, until, until your glory just shines forth to other nations. But there's a reason he's doing that. And the reason is because Israel is not faithful. Israel is very unfaithful. They've gone after other gods. They've decided to, to go their own way and ignore the Lord's commandments. In fact, in times they've said, well, why are you doing this, God? Because we, we serve you, but God's problem with that was that they were also serving other gods. And God required them to serve him and him only. Other gods? There are no other gods, but they made them to be other gods. So in Isaiah 41, he says this about Israel Behold, all of them are false. Their workers are worthless. Their molten images are wind and emptiness. This was Israel without trust and faith in God wind and emptiness. You know that's exactly what we end up being like when we don't have faith and trust in God we're nothing but wind and emptiness because he's the only one that can fill us wind and emptiness think about that in another sense our opinions and our counsels and our political views if not surrendered to the authority of Jesus and his lordship are wind and emptiness and that's exactly what was going on with Israel. They had their own opinions. They had their own ideas. They would not look at God. They would not do what he tell them, told them to do. In Isaiah 9, it says, yet, this, yet the people do not turn back to him who struck them, nor do they seek the Lord of hosts. The Lord cuts off head and tail from Israel. The head is the elder and honorable man, and the prophet who teaches falsehood is the tail. Those who guide this people are leading them astray, and those who are guided by them are brought to confusion. For every one of them is godless and an evildoer, and every mouth is speaking foolishness. I'm just going to continue to read. It says, for wickedness burns like a fire. By the fury of the Lord of hosts the land is burned up, and the people are like fuel for the fire. Woe to those who enact evil statutes and to those who constantly record unjust decisions, so as to, to deprive the needy of justice and rob the poor of my people of their rights. Now what will you do in the day of punishment and in the devastation which will come from afar? To whom will you flee for help, and where will you leave your wealth? Nothing remains but to crouch among the captives, or fall among the slain. This is a pretty, pretty, uh, almost depressing picture when you read that of of, uh, God's warning of Israel because of their failure to obey him and follow after him. But we here need to find now at this point what's really in the heart of God. I mean, you see this, you hear this, his judgments that he's bringing against them, his statements of of what's happening to them. But inside of God's heart, something also is happening. He sees their unjust ways. He sees their wickedness, and he condemns them. And he says, I'm going to give you up. I'm going to let you go. I'm going to bring you into captivity. But in Hosea 11.8, he says this, How can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I surrender you, O Israel? How can I make you like Adma? How can I treat you like Zeboiim? My heart is turned over within me, and all my passions, compassions, are kindled. I have a hard time reading that simply because Previous to this year, God should have been saying what he said to Israel with me. But I know God's compassion. Because he said to me, how can I give you up? I can't let you go. I will warn you, and I'll warn you with love, and I'll pull you back to me. And that's what he's reaching out to his people. He will warn you. He warned me. And it was a severe warning. But I felt and knew the love that was all laced all the way through it. But it was a warning, and I knew that it was. And all it took was one little step towards God, and He unleashed a flood of blessings toward me that still overwhelms me this day. This shows you the heart of God. God has emotions, He can feel things. It hurts him when we sin. It hurt him terribly when Israel would not obey him and not follow him. It tore his heart up. It made his heart turn over within him. He wanted to destroy Israel, but his heart said, I can't do it. I can't let you go. But at the same time, as his he heart is burning with compassion and tenderness, and, and he wants to hold on to Israel. But even in this compassion, in the same chapter of this compassion in Hebrews 11, he says Ephraim surrounds me with lies, and the house of Israel with deceit. Judah is also unruly against God, even against the Holy One who is faithful. So he let them go, he let them have their way. They wanted to not follow him, and he let them go. But he wouldn't destroy them completely, because he says, how can I make you like Adma and, and Zeboim? These are two towns that the archaeologists archeolog- have never found. They were along with Sodom and Gomorrah. It is believed they're beneath the Dead Sea. God utterly, totally destroyed them with Sodom and Gomorrah. He said, I won't make you like that to Israel. I believe he says that to us. If you'll heed my warning, I won't make you like that. I'll turn you around. But now I want you to look back here at, at this, at this uh, passage that we just, was just read from Isaiah. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent, and for Jerusalem's sake, I will not keep quiet. One translation says, I dare not keep silent. And why? Because of what I just read. God looks at Israel and says, I love you too much. You're gonna be punished, but I can't let you go. I'll bring you back. He said, I, I can't keep silent. I will go after you. I can't keep silent until your righteousness goes forth like a burning and her salvation like a torch that is burning. God is always speaking. My question, do we have the ears to hear what he's saying? He's always speaking. He's never silent. We think he's silent because we don't put ourselves in a place where he can hear us. We're so busy with life We're so busy running around doing things, doing this and doing that. And I'm not saying that there's things that don't need to be done. There's things that need to be done. But what about taking some time and making sure we take the time to hear what he has to say? You know, there's passages of scripture that said, he sent his word and healed them. And if he sends a word to you and you can't hear it, how is it gonna heal you? And I'm not talking about necessarily a physical healing. But what if you've got a mental anguish? Something is going on, something you do not know, and he's declaring it, and he's declaring it, but you're not in a place to hear it. He wants us to hear him. He cries out for us to have ears to hear what he is saying to us. But we don't take the time. Are the things that we're involved with, that take take us away from time with him, are they that important? Are they worth that much? Do we get ourselves so involved in this life, so wrapped up in things and in in so many things that we think are so important when in reality they are not important, that we, they consume our times and we can't hear him? We can't read his word? We can't be with him? I'm 72 years old. I've collected a lot of stuff in my life. In fact, I've looked at the old farmhouse that I have, it's quite a big house. It's got five bedrooms in it. And I look at that house, I realize my parents lived there. And I look at that place, I'm living there by myself, and it's full. And I'm saying, how in the world did I do this? All this stuff. And now I wish it was all gone. It's a waste of my time. It really is because someone has become so much more important to me than any of that stuff. Jesus means more to me than I could ever tell you. He has rescued me. He brought me out of darkness into his marvelous light. He brought me out of the dominion of the evil one, out of the dominion of darkness, into the kingdom of the Father's beloved Son. Thank you, Jesus, for doing that. Because that dominion and that authority that Satan had was like a chain wrapped around me, binding me up, enslaving me. But Jesus came in a moment when I said yes to him and shattered it and broke it and brought me deliverance like I have never experienced before in my life. I could talk a lot about that, but I dare not. It would take up all the time. And I'm nothing special. He just went after me. And he wants to go after every one of you too. If you've got ears to hear what he's saying. He loves you with a, with a love that, that is just like this. This He says to Israel, I will not keep silent. And God is saying that to every one of us through the blood of Jesus. I'll not keep silent until I get a hold of you. Until I've got your attention. He is life. Not the things that we possess He's always speaking. Who has ears to hear him? Let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. God says, you know, one of his words, be still and know that I am God. How many of us know how to be still and know that he's God? Do you know what that verse really means? It says, stop thinking about yourself, stop thinking about all the stuff, stop thinking about all the problems. Put it all away, every last bit of it, because none of it's, it's all smokescreen anyway. All, this, it's, all, of it, all of it is designed to keep you from knowing who God is. Push it all away and think about who God is. Number one, he loves you. Number two, he cares more about you than you could ever understand. And he knows what the answer is to the struggles that you're going through. He is that answer. And we, don't, we, we, think, we think that or, or say that or quote it or think about it as if it's a trite little statement. It is not. He is the answer. To every longing in your heart, to every desire you have, to every hurt and every pain, if you can get past it all to him, where he embraces you and you know his presence and you know him right there, Nothing else matters. Nothing else matters. If you can get to that place where you have this plan, and if you can get to that place where you have this plan, and you can say to Jesus, this is what I'd like to do, but if you say no, I'm fine with it. I will let it go. If you can get to the place, I want to redecorate my house and do this and change everything, but if Jesus, if you say no, don't, and you can say Okay, I'm fine with it. Because all you want is him. Life changes. Everything changes. He says, Until her righteousness goes forth like brightness. One of the references to this brightness is the brightness of dawn. I don't know, how, you know, in town it's a little hard sometimes because you've got buildings and trees all over, but driving in this morning, and I've seen it so many times, the sun coming up in the east, and it was just a mass of red clouds, bright red, just glowing. And that's what he's referring to about the brightness, the brightness that breaks forth at dawn until there's a brilliant light of the sunshine. That's the brightness he's talking about. That's what he's saying to us. We live in darkness so much of the time because we don't know what, what to do next. We don't know what this decision should be or what this one should be. We don't know how to, how to answer a question that somebody comes to us or how to deal with our children or how to deal, deal with this. But, Jesus is, but God is saying that I can come to you in that kind of brightness that just brings light upon everything. And he is that light, and he is that brightness. Then he talks about like a torch that is burning, a torch that is burning to your salvation, like a torch that is burning. If I wish, I wish I could read this in Hebrew. I don't have it in front of me. But I'll, I'll, I'll substitute one word here that is the Hebrew word. That phrase, and her salvation like a torch that is burning. And her, Yeshua, like a torch that is burning. Do you catch the significance? Yeshua is the Hebrew name for Jesus. And it means salvation, the one who saves. And her Yeshua, like a torch that is burning. Yes, Jesus comes to us like a burning torch. With his heart burning for us. What else would make him go to the cross? What else would make him cry out in Gethsemane? If this cup can pass from me. Let it be done, Lord, Father. But nevertheless, not my will, but your will. Jesus is simply saying, I'll go. I'll go to that cross. A, few week, a, few, a little bit earlier than this, Jesus made this statement. My soul has become terrified. What terrified Jesus' soul? The simple fact that he knew what was ahead of him, that at some point, the Father was going to turn His face away from Jesus. Jesus had never in in all eternity experienced separation from the Father, ever. And that thought that it was going to happen on the cross terrified Him. More than anything else in the world, more more than nails through His hands, more than a spear in His side, more than thorns on His side, what terrified Him was being away from the presence of His Father. And I'm going to tell you right here from my heart. What scares me more right now is that I will not sense the presence of the Lord with me. That has happened. Since, since early May, I have been able to sense His presence with me. And the thought of Him not being with me is horrifying. Because His life He's become everything to me. In Revelation, there is this verse. I would that you were cold or hot, but because you are lukewarm, I will spit you out of my mouth. Now this is a hard statement but I take it literally. And I think it's something that we need to consider and look at. Because you are cold, I would that you are cold or hot, but because you're lukewarm, I will spit you out of my mouth. You cannot have a relationship with Jesus and be cold. It's not possible. And if you're lukewarm, you know what he said. That you out. So, the only way to really have a relationship with Jesus, to really know Him, is to be hot. He says your salvation will come forth like a burning torch. He does. He expects the same of us that our relationship with Him will be hot, burning, a flame. Nothing else matters. That's the most important thing. Because here's the reality. What can you take with you to heaven? There's one thing you can take with you, and one thing only. Souls that you have won to the Lord. That's it. And in the reality, there is nothing else that matters. Jesus is my prize. Jesus is your prize. It's not coming up here preaching. That's not my prize. It's not winning souls. That's not my prize. As important as that is, it's not the prize. Service, it's not the prize. Gaining a better car or a better house or a a better whatever, it's not the prize. Jesus is the prize. He's the one you go after. He's the one you go after. Everything you do for the Lord comes out of that. If Jesus was not my prize, it would be horrible for me to be standing up here preaching the word. Here's a statement that I think that has really gripped my heart. It is slander against God to do service for him when you don't know him. How can you speak for him when you do not know him? You see, this passage says what God is going to do for Israel. He's not going to keep silent. He's going to go after Israel until these things begin to happen, until their salvation is a torch that is burning, until all the nations see the righteousness of Israel, And he will give them a new name. And you will be, and Israel, he says, Israel will be a crown of beauty, not on his head, in his hand. Isn't that interesting? A crown of beauty in his hand signifies that God is examining the crown, looking at it. We're his crown, and he's looking at us. His eyes are on us, he's examining us. What is that crown made of? Is it cardboard and paper like you'd get a Burger King? Paper crown? That burns up in the fire at the judgment seat of Christ? Or is it based on works that are pure and holy and right? Made of gold and jewels and diamonds. And he's looking at that. And then he says of Israel, you will no longer be called forsaken. You will no longer be desolate for the Lord delights in you. These are the characteristics of God. He is passionate about his people Israel. and He says, I'm going to restore them. I'm going to do this. He is just as passionate about his church And if his church is not where it's supposed to be, he's coming after us. And you can't get away from his Holy Spirit. David said, where will I go? If I ascend to the highest heights, you're there. If I go to the lowest pits, you're there. If I hide myself in darkness, darkness is as light to you. Where can I go that you are not? The Holy Spirit is coming after you. He's coming after every one of us. He came after me. I'm just glad I heard his voice. There's, there is more than what we have. There is more. We know the theological terms like his omnipresence, God is everywhere. Like David was just, like I just described David about where can he go that he can get away from him? He couldn't. But we know about his omnipresence. He's everywhere. Have you experienced his manifest presence? Where he's right here with you and you just know it? Don't ask me intellectually how you know it. I can't tell you. But something in your heart just, you're here. And you just, you almost cringe. The purity of who he is, he's right there. That is real. He wants to manifest his presence right with you. But there's, there, there, there are several things that keep that from happening. Are we truthful in the inward heart? Is there purity in the inward heart? We can say, well, Jesus' blood cleanses me and takes away all my sin and makes me holy. That's true. But do you live holy? Do you keep your thoughts under control? Do you turn away from things immediately that you should not see? Do you stop your ears about hearing things that you ought not to hear? Do things bother you inwardly or do you just, it don't matter. What about the things we watch on television, the movies we look at? Are the things in those movies that really here's the question. Would Jesus walk with you and do the things that we do or watch or listen to? Yes, I am calling. The Holy Spirit is calling. Calling Life Church, calling each one of you to a higher level of holiness than we've ever been before. I'm asking for a sharper edge on our lives. That things would bother us that never used to bother us. That we walk in more purity, more holiness. We'd be more aware of the things that that get in the way. Our God is a consuming fire and he is holy. He says, be holy as I am holy. And I'm not gonna lower that down, whitewash it a little bit, twist it around, because we say that it's impossible for me to be holy like God. I'm not gonna do that. I'm not gonna turn that into fluff. God says, be holy for I am holy. You can live a holy life. I'm not not saying that you you might not, that you you won't sin. But my statement is when you do sin, how quick do you get it right? That's that's, That's the test of holiness. How quick do you get it right? How rapidly do you deal with it immediately? That's the point. In Isaiah 66. It says. For my hand made all these things. Thus all these things came into being. Declares the Lord. Here's the creator God. Who spoke into existence. Out of nothing. Everything that is. Just his word. And it came into being. And then he says this. But to this one. I will look to him who is humble and contrite of spirit and who trembles at my word. I fear that we have taken this book and not believed what it said. We've let culture dictate what it's supposed to be rather than taking it at face value and believing it. Because this is what this is the standard that the Lord holds over us. This is His revelation. This book is not ink on a page. It is God breathed. He breathed this word right out. If we look at this book as ink on a page, it'll kill us. But if we are filled with His Holy Spirit and His breath is moving through us, this book comes alive. And it pierces our hearts where we fail to, to walk in it. And if we walk in it and, and, and we all, allow that piercing, and then we change our lives according to what it says, we begin to be more. You can be more and more holy. You're accepted with God. Yes, because of the blood of Jesus. But you can live. You can change your life. You can work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That's what the scripture is saying that, when we, when we begin to do that, his presence starts to invade in this place like you've never seen before, like you've under, under can't even really understand. And he begins to, to do things in our hearts and lives and make things so more important so much more important than, than the, the beggarly elements of this world. Yeah, I'm, I am calling and I believe the Holy Spirit is calling. Just like Jesus said to John, the revelator, in Revelation, come up here, come up here to a higher level, and I'll show you things that you've never seen before. I'll show you things. In Psalms 25, if you, could read the, you could read the whole chapter, but it says, Those who follow after the Lord, who do His work, He begins to reveal His secrets to them. I wanna know His secrets, I wanna feel His heart beating. In my heart. I want to know him. See, that's why in Isaiah 62, it shows the characteristics of God. But these same characteristics is that he's coming after the church. He's not going to be silent. He's going to continue to work. He's going to continue to shoot the arrows of his word. He can continue to do the things until our righteousness shines forth like a burning torch until the brightness of his presence comes into this place like it's never done before. He wants to do that in each one of our hearts to change and transform us. I'm going to end with with this question. Do you know him? Or do you just know about him? Is it possible that you could just go out in the street out here somewhere, maybe find somebody that's staggering around because they've had a little bit too much alcohol and you've asked them about Jesus. Oh, yeah. He's supposed to be our Savior. He could regurgitate the whole gospel. Do you know him or do you just know about him? When I say know him, are you intimate with him? Do you know who he is? Do you have a relationship with him? Can you talk to him and listen and hear his voice talk to you? If you just know about him, maybe you need to change that. I think most people in America know about him, but I don't think they know him. pray with me Father you love us with a love that's incredible that I can't even hardly put into words you care for us intensely just like you said here in, to the Israel in Isaiah 62 I will not keep silent. I dare not keep silent. Why do you dare not keep silent? It's because you love us so much. You care so much for us. And you want us to come up to you. You want us to know you, to know you intimately. You're not a God that's far, far away. You want to be intimately involved in our lives, speaking to our hearts, changing us and transforming us. Jesus, we're supposed to be your bride. How can a bride not be excited about her bridegroom? How can a bride not even think about you in a whole day's time? It's not possible. Jesus, draw us closer to you. Let the flame of your Holy Spirit burn in our hearts. Make us alive in you. Jesus, help us to understand what it truly means to be crucified with you and to live your life and to allow your life to live through us. This is what you really meant, Jesus, when you said, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Lord, help us to get the world out of us, to get our roots out of the world and our roots deep into who you are. For you are life. Change us, Jesus. Continue to speak to our hearts and transform our lives till we look like you. So that this world can look at the church and say there's something going on there. They're different than we are. Let's go find out. Help us not to be like the world but like you, Jesus. Spirit of the living God, don't be silent. Keep speaking to us, even though we have stubborn ears. Open our ears up. Speak to us and change our lives. Go after us and go after us and go after us until we yield our hearts and our lives to you completely, that you can do whatever you want to do, that your will would be done in our lives. And we can praise you, with a higher praise than we've ever done before. You are worthy, Jesus. You're worthy of all of our lives. Surrender to you completely. Glory and honor belong to you. In Jesus' name.